0: It'll roll in from the east, like those ships return from sea. It'll ring out through the west, across Golden Valley, rising up from the south. Oh, that's where I want to be. If someone is calling me. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the chief film critic of IndieWire, and I'm here with my usual friendly sparring partner, Ann Thompson, out in LA. How's it going, Ann?
1: Very good, thank you.
0: I'm holding down the fort in Austin this week at the Fantastic Fest, a, a kind of wacky genre festival I like going to each year, which is sort of this fun communal vibe. I would say it swaps the kind of you know cozy, well-heeled Midwestern types who go to Telluride for a more raucous, horror-loving fanboy set. Uh, but it's, uh, it's not that simple. It's a really interesting uh, gathering that's been around for about 10 years. It was started by Tim League uh, from the Alamo Draft House and uh, Harry Knowles, who started Ain't It Cool News. And it's modeled on some of the other horror festivals that are out there, uh, not only in terms of the kinds of movies they show, but the scope of them. There's an international component to the festival and the way that this... Uh, this crowd comes to movies irrespective of you know what language they're in is actually really interesting because it's not your typical festival crowd it's people who just want to see really cool movies and so the the kind of the, the scope of it is really exciting but it's also just a really wild fun time with lots of you know late drunken nights lots of karaoke lots of barbecue so i have to say for me it's almost like a vacation before the kind of crazy fall season really takes off with New York Film Festival and, and Oscar season and, and everything that that entails. Um, I'm sort
1: I'm, of surprised that you're willing to be sort of passing up the early uh, press screenings at the New York Film Festival, which are underway now. Um, I'm going to be showing up for New York on the uh, for the opening night, Gone Girl, which is exciting. But um, Ryan Latanzio is going to go to Fantastic Fest. So you will see him there and hopefully you will be your usual generous, um, mentor-like self.
0: You know, I like to, to hold people's hands and show them the ropes as much as possible, but, uh, sometimes you gotta just let those birds fly and I think you know (laughs) it's fantastic Ryan will
1: not have any trouble in that department he'll have
0: a great time and and I think his work will speak for itself I mean I'll be in New York soon enough we'll we'll be running the Critics Academy there with a bunch of prospective new young writers uh, covering the festival and helping us out I know that New York Film Festival will offer a couple of new interesting titles but obviously at this point I've seen so much stuff in the fall season that a lot of the stuff that's screening right now I've actually are caught. So when I get back next week is when the bigger screenings will kick off and people will start hearing about David Fincher's Gone Girl and a week or two later, you know, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's Inherent Vice. So So I'm
1: going to stay long enough for that. That's exactly the trajectory that I'm Therefore, That's it's the, the over opening night and the two, the second weekend, which is which is inherent vice, and then I'll, then I'll come home. And I'll be missing in New York uh, the latest new news, which is the Laura Poitras documentary, Citizen Four. Now, it is not a surprise. I mean, there were some uh, posts on the New York Times and the Guardian sites of, of, of uh, interviews that she's done. Um, you know, around the whole uh, Edward Snowden uh, unveiling, I and mean, she's been central to that whole story. So the fact that she's done a, a Snowden doc isn't a sh- a shock, but I didn't realize she was so close to being finished, did you?
0: No, and what's shocking about it is not so much that she did it, which, you know, should have been assumed since that's the kind of stuff she does, but the, it was kept so secretive for so long. And not only that, the film has a distributor. It's going to be Radius, the uh, kind of... VOD and, and specialty arm of, of the Weinstein Company. Wow. So, you know, this has been in the works for a really long time, and, and putting it in New York Film Festival in the fall season is going to give it the kind of exposure that, that you know, is going to just really amplify what this movie's doing. You know, it's not a curiosity of sorts. It's from this acclaimed filmmaker who not only, uh, you know, has a track record of kind of, of exploring Global problems from various different perspectives, but was instrumental in the Snowden situation in the first place. I mean, she filmed the first interview with him from That's Hong right. Kong, so right. she has a role to play in this story. And so, and I'm, she's
1: also a real uh, critic of uh, the Obama administration's handling, not only of, of of all the NSA stuff as Snowden is, but of her. I mean, she has been a, a persona non grata for a long time where they hassle her and and pull her aside every single time that she has to go through customs or through any kind of uh international airport it's been a real issue for her and it's it's interesting that she's sort of she's won many documentary prizes um the I.D.A. honored her last year and and she's revered by many documentarians but not by the uh, obama administration
0: the way that she deals with Snowden I think will be hopefully as interesting as Snowden himself and so that's what I'm really fascinated to see is how she finds kind of the the creative side of how to tell this story not just sort of the ripped from the headlines element which obviously she helped write to some degree
1: Well, we're Um, both eager I'll see it when I come back to uh LA they're screening it here as as well and they're going to bring her out for interviews so I am jumping up and down uh, you'll be able to see the uh, the press screening and the Q&A at the New York Film Festival, which I envy you for.
0: Right, so more to come there. But we should probably talk about some of the things that are coming up that we actually have seen. Uh, maybe in terms of just the Oscar race right now, because there's been a lot of stuff happening. For a couple of weeks, we were speculating and speculating, and now we can speculate with purpose, because uh, we're getting more definite things. Uh, one of the uh, notable uh, developments that we heard about just a couple of days ago was that Patricia Arquette is now officially going for the best supporting actor, actress uh, for uh, boyhood. Which, when I was uh, in
1: Toronto, I was arguing with Jonathan Searing, who's the head of IFC, about which way they should go. And uh, I actually, it, in this particular case, I think it could have gone either way. She, she would, but apparently, if you look at some of the charts like Gold Derby, um, there's a, you know, they have a number. This doesn't mean anything really, except that a lot of the people who prognosticate and predict these things had her higher up on the supporting actress rankings than they did in the Best Actress rankings. I think the Best Actress field is so weak that she would have done very well in that group in the end, and it would have made the film seem more important, that was my argument. But... um, uh jonathan searing obviously taking the course of of uh least resistance here because if 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 she's at the if she's considered to be the firm the front runner for supporting actress then she's very likely to win that category and i i totally understand that
0: but one of the things that's interesting about that is that this was not a movie that they really expected at the outset to be as big of an oscar player as it ended up being i mean Uh, when it showed up at Sundance you know there was a lot of secrecy around this thing we didn't even know it was was called until a couple months beforehand and the gamble of making the movie I think consumed uh, IFC's ability to really even think of, of what they could do with this movie and so you know I think whatever they end up doing will end up being instructive just because it's such a different kind of movie to have in the Oscar race. I mean, it's obviously an unprecedented accomplishment in film history anyway, but it seems like the kind of year where it's just... The right sort of uh, variables that are out there, where this movie could really pick up some serious theme. and you know, it, it
1: already it- has. It's actually the front runner at this point. But that's a position sometimes that can be dangerous. It can be a position that's easy, you know difficult to sustain and to hold. And so I commend IFC, which while they've tentatively approached the Oscar race on several occasions, this is the first time. I would suggest that they are plunking down real commitment, real money, real investment, because they invested so heavily in the film itself sure. for 12 years. And, and I guess what happened, which, as you say, I mean, when you talk to Linklater, I interviewed him once for. Um, before midnight, and he and, he and Ethan Hawk and julie Juppe and, and I was asking them at that time Hawk and and Link Letter about uh, boyhood. It was' on IMDB people knew it existed, but they didn 't really know or appreciate you know what it was until they could see it they didn 't want to talk about it. they were really weirded out about talking about it because it was such a until it was finished until it was shown it was like they had, they had trouble giving it up. it was something they had sequestered to, close to their to their vests for so long that that it was hard for them to go public with it, I think.
0: Well, and the other thing that's interesting about that is that, you know, it was sort of this special case where this filmmaker who's been around for a while was kind of doing something because he could, you know, and, and the process by which others sort of get to that point in their career where they, you know, merit more respect from, let's say, the Academy uh, say, Alejandro González Iñárritu. With I think that's early. a
1: good comparison, a valid comparison of two artists who just took a flying leap and are going to be rewarded for it.
0: Right, except that with Iñárritu, you know, it's like the, that happened relatively recently, and this thing's been kind of building and building for a really long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, another uh, interesting development with IFC is, is a, a film that they have uh, in the foreign language race, which is the Darden Brothers, Uh, Two Days, One Night was one of the uh, films that has been uh, submitted as as an Oscar submission for Belgium, uh, which is a nice sort of bounce back for them because, you know, they're usually sort of the the most respected filmmakers out of Belgium, but the last film that they made, The Kid with a Bike, was not submitted. Uh, That honor went to Bullhead. And it's the first
1: time that they, I mean, it's the fourth time they've been submitted, but they've never been nominated before, which is going to be interesting.
0: uh, And this one has this... Great star role from Marion Cotillard. It's this is absolutely woman, you know fighting to save her job. So it's I, I would say the only foreign contender at this point that has this big name at the center of it that all kinds of people can kind of appreciate. But it's also very much in tune with other Darden brothers films. You know, it's this. Wonderful sense of naturalism, and also almost like a thriller component to the to the way that it's structured. As she hustles around, that to, would be
1: overstating it, it slightly, but it has more uh, taut tension, and it functions as a family relationship drama. And the, and there's a there is a kind of, of of pressure cooker aspect to it because you know is she going to keep her job or or isn't she, and are these people going to support her? Or aren't they? It's it's maybe more as relatable. It's funny because I love their films, but I have to say that that Kid with the Bike and this one are the most um, accessible, perhaps, that they've made. So right. I hope I hope it does get uh, get into uh, the race along with um, the one that I just saw this week, which I loved. Uh, the Swedish entry uh, Force Majeure, uh, which is an unusually smart, well written, well acted movie set in the 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 Swiss Alps you know up 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 way 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 up high at a ski resort and it's a family that seems to be at the beginning absolutely perfect picture perfect family a very good looking successful obviously husband and wife two little kids and then you know they're skiing and everything and you're seeing all the a mechanical accoutrements of, of, of how you build a, a, a resort up at the top of the world, you know, with the, you're very aware of the, their, the, the human fragility and all the mechanics that are making it possible. And there are these, these guns that go off and, and they, they're like triggering forced avalanches. And in one at the beginning of this movie, there's this huge avalanche that comes at them and they think it's going to hit them. They believe that they're going to be buried alive, and what happens after that is fascinating. So
0: I fascinating. haven't seen that one yet, but it, it premiered at Cannes and it's been gaining accolades since then. It also was in Toronto and it's even playing at Fantastic Fest this week, which I think. Oh, may good!
1: Be you sure. should definitely see it.
0: But you know, that's one of those interesting things where I think they believe so much in this movie that they're playing it around as much as they can. And though it isn't at New York Film Festival, I think they're they're trying to stir up some awareness. Uh, in that scene by screening the film at the same time and it it seems like one that's going to stay in the conversation another film that premiered at Cannes that's on the short list is the Turkish entry Winter Sleep which won the Palme d'Or that's from Nuri Bilge Ceylon Um, that's one I found quite impressive one of uh, his most interesting films in a long time but it is 3 hours and 15 minutes long it's inspired by Chekhov and so it's a lot of sort of Uh, soul-searching dialogue from uh, disgruntled characters in a room. So the prospects of that one gaining a lot of momentum in the race seems maybe weaker to me. But, uh, you know, you never know with these sort of things. It is a really beautiful film with a lot on its mind. The frontrunner, according to a lot of people, is a film that actually is much older than than these others we've been discussing, and that's Ida, uh, the Polish entry, which uh, premiered in the fall festival circuit last year. A uh, Really beautiful black and white film, echoes a Bergman to some degree, I would say at least visually, uh, about this, this woman in a, in a nunnery who discovers that her parents were actually Jewish and passed away in the Holocaust, and she goes on this really fascinating kind of road trip to discover her original roots. Uh, I love this movie. I think that it deserves to be in the conversation, if for no other reason than the way that it kind of uh, marries these uh, high art aesthetics with an incredibly accessible, really sweet story of this woman sort of at odds with two different identities.
1: Ryan um, interviewed the, the director, and actually I have to promote that particular story if any of you didn't get a chance to read it, because the director really gave him um an amazing interview it's really worth uh checking out what he ha- he had some very provocative uh things to say it was it was it, it, we all read these these q and a's with directors but every once in a while uh you run across someone who's got more on their mind um, and i think it's more. great
0: you know that if, if he's willing to give good, good interviews and the movie's playing well then those two things can probably work in harmony to a great degree so i hope that that goes a long way to kind of getting this film out there and that people get a chance to check it out. Uh, by now, it's already even been playing in theaters for a while, so it might be available on DVD soon, and, and I, I really do think it, it'll it certainly crack my top ten by the end of the year. Uh, in terms of other award season developments, A24 has moved into the race, which I think is interesting because they, they're they still a relatively new company and don't really have a track record with these things. But Although uh,
1: Nicolette Eisenberg, who works for them, has been trained you know, by the Weinsteins and others. I mean, she knows her stuff, and and, uh, she's an Oscar maven, so it doesn't surprise me.
0: And I'm Um, sure she'll appreciate the shout-out as... You know David Fenkel may as well. He's one of the heads of the company and was at Oscilloscope when they got nominations for The Messenger uh, and a few other things. So you know it's not that you know these people haven't worked the scene before, but A24 itself is still kind of establishing itself. And they have well, they a-
1: picked up a most violent year. That, right. So J.C. Chandor is someone that you can expect to be. I mean, Fenkel's very high on this project, very excited that he got it um, because he's the guy behind Margin Call, and which was a surprise oscar entry for a debut filmmaker as a screenplay nomination and he also and it was a success for for roadside and his other film uh that he that he actually uh i think was a great movie the all is lost with robert redford didn't do as well the box office because people were afraid of a movie with no talk thing and one guy in a boat and who knows how it ends up if the title says all is lost <laughs> but um i think uh this is jessica chastain and oscar isaac who was st- who starred in inside lewin davis set 1981 and they're going to give it an oscar uh, qualifying run at the end of the year before opening it in 2015
0: Though it is still definitely an unknown variable. It's not in any festivals coming up. So it's one
1: of the late entries, along with Unbroken or uh, American Sniper from Clint Eastwood and, and uh, Unbroken's from Angelina Jolie. They're going to be in Big Eyes uh, from Tim Burton. These are the late entries, and sometimes. Don't forget about you just have Interstellar.
0: Interstellar Interstellar's Nolan's
1: coming Christmas. out sooner than that. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll see Interstellar before the end of the year.
0: Probably most curious about that one, but. You know, who knows, maybe they'll sneak it here at Fantastic Fest next week. Anything's possible at this juncture. Hope
1: springs eternal, Eric.
0: I always keep it alive. Can't just watch the same things over and over again. It's PTA
1: that has sometimes snuck his films at Fantastic Fest at the, the, uh, not necessarily with permission from his distributors and and uh, sometimes he's committed to festivals. In this particular case, I have to assume that his relationship with Kent Jones at the New York Film Festival is such that a worldwide uh, premiere is a real Things, and well, he my, my vali- you know, invalidate
0: that. I actually think Kent Jones doesn't care that much. My understanding from various conversations I've had is that you know the New York Film Festival is one particular kind of crowd and Fantastic Fest is completely different. So if the studio were okay with it, I don't think New York Film Festival would fight it. Uh, but when PTA brought There Will Be Blood Here, I don't think he really cleared it with the studio. He just he had did a not. direct relationship. So they, they're <laughs> probably keeping a close watch on him this time around, I would say. I
1: know, and when he took the master out in 70 millimeter to theaters around the country th- that ended up invalidating an invitation from telluride and they ended up not playing the telluride because That's as far right. as they were concerned why bother
0: so you know i you got to give credit to somebody who's willing to just shake things up and kind of ignore the rules even in a system like this that punishes you when you break them so Um, I'm I'm excited to see that one one way or the other. I read the book, and I think it's a lot of fun, and I've heard that the comedy element of this movie really does deliver, and that it's very strange, which, you know, I would expect no less from PTA, but he's just... I've
1: heard it's strange enough to perhaps not be, you know, mainstream Oscar enough, but we'll find out when we we see it. What's fun about Gone Girl is that Fincher is out there talking to people, you know, and he's in Esquire, and he's doing a a London talk tonight, so... uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to running a... We have someone covering that. We're going to run that tomorrow morning. We'll and there are a that. good
0: amount of people now who have seen Gone Girl and, and say that it's pretty strong, that it's you know very much a feature Definitely. In top form. So it's another one to look LA forward Times to. LA Times
1: tweeted that they really liked it. Yep.
0: Just to get out of the Oscar conversation and come back to Fantastic Fest for a moment, I want to make sure to plug a couple of things I've seen in this environment. Just because you know, the more that we talk about Oscar stuff, the more that we end up talking in circles. And hey, I'm seeing a lot of other stuff that worth you know is worth singling out as well. There's uh, ABC's of Death Two, which is coming out day and date in October, and certainly not a movie for everybody, as as the title probably tells you. But it's a really fascinating concept. It's an anthology horror film uh, with 26 shorts from around the world. Each letter corresponds to a different kind of death. But uh, what's interesting about it is that this New Zealand producer, Ant Timpson, who puts it together, he gets this really fascinating uh, kind of cross-section of different kinds of filmmakers, young, old, from all these different parts of the world. And so it's not just about seeing, you know, kind of shocking horror in small doses. It's more about kind of getting a sense for different kinds of filmmaking sensibilities in in different places. Uh, They have animation by Bill Plimpton, There's a piece by the New York uh, underground filmmaker Larry Fessenden. uh, But I I really liked one by a filmmaker named uh, Steve Kostansky, uh, which was sort of this fascinating project made, uh, apparently in his bedroom, using green screen effects. It was really exciting and different. um, And so that's one where, you know, if you want to just sort of experience cinema in almost like its most distilled fashion this is a perfect movie to kind of do that with even if it doesn't all work but it's also ideal for day and date in the sense that you can watch it on VOD and fast forward if you're not into one segment or another so that's one that you know it worked really well at Fantastic Fest I think because it's an audience that wants those kinds of experiences where there's just so much variety Um, I also saw a movie called John Wick which is a Lionsgate title with Keanu Reeves as this hitman avenging believe it or not the death of his dog Um, and I have to tell you I mean it's it's not a surprising movie in any particular way but it's another one that's really well suited to this environment because uh, Keanu Reeves while some people think his star has faded to some degree has actually evolved into this purely b-movie space I mean his last film that he directed was Man of Tai Chi and um, I would say that John Wick is very much in a similar tradition of, of just kind of delivering on the kind of excitement of watching Keanu Reeves in monotone running around shooting and punching his way to vengeance. So. Uh, oh,
1: that sounds really exciting.
0: <laughs> perfect for you, and I'm telling you. But I'll, I'll tell you I've one always thing liked
1: Keanu Reeves. I've always rooted for him. I've always remembered this story about, I think I told this story before, where he... Um, was was talking to premier and, and, and said you know he was very critical of his performance in some movie and and he, and, and he said, "I suck, I suck, I suck
0: <laughs> It's his version of method acting, basically. But, you know, there, there are other things in this environment that are really interesting because if you put them at Fantastic Fest, they play differently. There was a film that was at Cannes this year in the director's Fortnite section called Alleluia. It's a French film from a filmmaker who previously made a movie that was released in the U.S. called Vinion. And um, it's, it's basically about these two serial killers uh, who were real people in the 1960s, Martha Beck and Raymond Fernandez, who went around seducing people and trying to steal their money and killed a lot of folks before they were executed. But what's interesting about it is that it has this frantic quality where it actually gets inside their mania to the point where you almost feel sympathetic for them. So there's a subversive quality to it, but it's very artfully done. And it's a music box release, so I hope that people check it out it's. Um, it was a really nice surprise to see that at the start of the festival because it's the sort of thing that, while it has been around, it wasn't on my radar at all. So that was a nice discovery. Uh, maybe we should focus now on films that people actually can see because there are some good movies opening this week. Do you want to kick us off with uh, your favorite?
1: Yeah, there's a documentary that... Um uh, is sort of a surprise because the filmmaker is unknown. He's never made a film before. He's not. He wasn't a filmmaker. He learned how to become one while he did this. It's, 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 so it's a labor of love, and it's, it's, um, it's called Keep On Keeping On. And basically, this guy named Alan Hicks from Australia... Uh, wanted to, uh, he was offered a chance to to do a little doc in Australia about his relationship with the jazz trumpeter Clark Terry, who is renowned and who's like 92 now, or 93 now. And he had toured with him as a drummer for a couple of years. And when that fell through, he ended up deciding that he and his friend, uh, who was his like one-man crew, decided that they would do it themselves and make their own thing. And they, they would basically... Work for three months in Australia, go to America, shoot for three months, come back to Australia, go back to America for four years. Collect, and they were like family. They would just lie around and the, they sleep in the basement, sleep on the sofa, and they also started to pursue this uh, mentee, uh, this protege of of Terry's, named Justin Coughlin, who's a, a jazz pianist who's blind, and. Terry is a mentor to these young. Well, he's been a mentor to Quincy Jones. He's been a mentor to to, to Alan Hicks to all these other people. And so that it became about that that mentor protege relationship. And he was uh, Terry was going through all sorts of health issues, really dangerously. So and and so it just is one of these movies that just breaks your heart because it's about people doing good and and being good. And uh, I, I have a feeling that the Academy. Uh, especially with Quincy Jones as a producer now, be you know very being very helpful with the film. Uh, we'll take it. We'll pay attention to this one because it, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit like the Rodriguez uh, Searching for Sugar Man in the sense that it it it's about people um, discovering uh, again uh, the, how generous talent can be. I, I don't know how else to put it.
0: Well, it's not the only music doc opening this week, although Twenty Thousand Days on Earth couldn't be uh, more different. This is a documentary about Nick Cave, but documentary is a loose term in the sense it's more of a collaboration between him and the filmmakers. And, you know, Nick Cave being somebody who has a relationship to cinema and has written these really interesting screenplays for westerns, both uh, Lawless and, and an earlier John Hillcoat film that I really like called The Proposition. This is nothing like those films except that I think that it upends expectations in similar ways. Uh, it's, it's really more about kind of, uh, again, getting inside someone's creativity which is a really fascinating process I, and um, it, it shows him both at home with his kids. It, it, you hear him sort of speaking almost poetically about, about how he finds his inspiration, about about his background of sorts and you also see him in this like really incredible cityscape and so visually the movie brings to life the way that his music has a transformative quality in a way that I had never seen before. And actually made me appreciate him much more as a musician, which I hadn't done Quite as so legend. who's the uh,
1: filmmaker behind this?
0: It's two directors, Ian Forsyth and Jane Pollard, and uh, it was in uh, New Directors, New Films in the Film Society of Lincoln Center series last year. Um, so it's been and around it for a little bit. Art. They do yeah.
1: it together. That's yeah.
0: right, and um, so it was a nice discovery that showed up at Sundance, and uh, actually was released by Draft House Films, uh, arm yeah, of the arm you make me want to see that. You really so,
1: do. That's yeah,
0: I mean, I would say you know it's not the sort of uh, more sentimental kind of crowd pleaser that some music docs are, but it has something else going on for it that I think could excite people about this person's art, whether or not they've related to it before. And so seeing something different is always what we're hoping for. And as we continue to talk about Oscar season, I bring that hope to the table for that as well. With that in mind, I will see you soon in New York.
1: Have fun at Fantastic Fest. You're making me wish I was there. I'll Although try to survive. I've done enough festivals for, for the time being, I think.
0: Well, you'll read about it. Ooh, ooh, ooh.